Welcome to The Underlay, a Clever Choice podcast, where we go inside and under the flooring industry. Welcome to episode four of The Underlay, a Clever Choice podcast. And with me, as always, in the panic room is CEO of Clever Choice, Michael Roberts. How are you, mate? Yeah, very well, Matt. Thanks for having us back again. That's good, mate. Uh, you're not in a great way today, but it's great to see you've made it in. Yeah, yeah. A un- bit under the weather. Uh, broken ankle will not uh, hold me back from coming in here today, though. Mate, last last week it was uh, it was the flu. This week it's a broken ankle. Mate, I'm working hard to get a day off, I can tell I'm you. I'm telling you, mate. Am I ever going to see you at your best? You know, Christmas time's usually pretty good. I get uh, two weeks off there. Okay. So when you're not working. Yeah, when I'm not working. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> okay, and we've got a very special guest with us uh, today on the underlay, Randy Fleerman from Atfa. And, mate, uh, thank you very much for joining us. How are you? Pleasure. Great. Thank you, Matt. It's good to be with you. Yeah, look, uh, it's we've been getting around and, and we, as we said, we're just up to episode four, so we've We've had someone internally from Clever. We've had a we've had a charity partner. We've had the marketing arm, and now we've got the uh, industry insider. And uh, we look, uh, as we say in the in the catchphrase, mate, we're going inside and under the flooring industry. And uh, you're our first real dig at uh, inside the industry, mate. So we're excited to have you. No worries, mate. I guess starting out, if you could just give us just a little brief overview about what Atfa does and 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 what your role is, that would be great. Thanks, mate. Okay, so Australasian Timber Flooring Association with a peak industry body for the timber flooring industry, so all aspects of timber flooring. Um, we started life in officially on the 1st of July 2005. There'd been quite a number of months in the planning and developing a business plan prior to that with uh, what are now the, the four founding fathers of ATFA that, that brought things together and initiated the first meeting and... Uh, the direction and the way forward with a view to, uh, I guess, trying to bring more professionalism into the industry. Uh, the old catch cry back in the early uh, noughties was that there were too many cowboys in the industry and that there was an intent to try and uh, improve the, the training and education and professionalism of the industry. So that was um, the, the intent. Um, so since then, ATFA has focused on um, developing um, a considerable amount of information to support industry. We do that through manuals. We do that through information sheets. Uh, we produce an enormous amount of events and activities. So um, whether they are um, trade nights, which are always popular, demo nights, uh, training sessions, one-day workshops, two-day workshops, um, online training, online modules, brief webinars, our webinar series is very popular. So lots of training activities, lots of information. We have our inspection service, of course, which um, is is considerable these days with, with 20 inspectors across Australia and New Zealand, uh, and one in Singapore. So that's, a, I guess, a brief snapshot, Matt, of uh, what, what we do. So, mate, you mentioned the four founding fathers of ATFA. Hey, can you tell us a little bit about that? And and I understand that it usually takes people with serious passion to decide they're going to develop a foundation for the for the good of an industry. Mm. So can you just tell us a little bit about actually how that came about? Yeah, look, I think that there was um, – I touched on the aspects of trying to create 
greater professionalism in the industry. Um, there was a, a focus on trying to, to get licensing and that's an ongoing battle and, and always will be when you're dealing with government. Um, I'm happy to discuss that more. But uh, So the four founding fathers were Robert Clegg, Cameron Luke, Malcolm Johnson and Colin Mende. So just going through those, uh, Robert Clegg still operates as, as NS Timber Flooring uh, in Queensland. Cameron Luke has, has now left the industry, but he was Larkler previously. Uh, Colin Mende at the time was Polycure. He's now with Loba. Uh, and Malcolm Johnston um, was at the time Burrell. He moved to Herefords, but he's since left Herefords and now not in the flooring industry, I don't believe. But those four guys were very instrumental in, in coming together. We had a meeting in Sydney. Um, we looked at the needs of, of what a national association would be. There were several tiny state volunteer associations around that um, you know, were fundamentally volunteer that could only do what their, their members um, gave them the capability to do. So the intent here was to develop an association that was professional, had staff and could, could service members in a far greater way. So those four guys were very instrumental in, in forming um, what is now ATFA. So how long have you been involved with uh, ATFA for, mate? Uh, since the, so uh, obviously 1st of July was the official first day of operation that I was with uh, of doing work for um, those founding fathers from about January of 20, 2005, sorry. So I was the one that put to the business plan together initially uh, and then started to, to take the organisation forward with, with the assistance of those guys. Um, we, we took an approach of... Um, starting with some meetings around different states to to introduce the organisation and to provide an outline of what we intended to do. Um, we, we focused on getting some of those bigger manufacturers on board to support the process. Um, we looked at, at uh, talking to the different state associations about coming on board with, with ATFA and being involved. Um, we offered free membership to those state associations in the in the early days to to encourage that amalgamation if you like so a lot happened in the in the early part to to kick off kick off things i think by the end of the first 12 months of operation we had 72 members and to give you some indication i think we're about 970 now so um 17 years on so yeah it's been quite a, a massive shift i guess the the expectations of uh, the first business plan, you know, five years business plan, strategic plan, was that if we'd hit 200 members, that would be uh, quite amazing and wouldn't that be extraordinary? And, and yet here we are almost with five times as many members. Yeah, well, I guess in, in 15 years, you would have seen a lot of changes to the industry as well, mate. Uh, can you pinpoint a couple of the big changes you've seen and, and, and probably where the industry's heading? Yeah, there have been quite a number of changes over that period of time. You know, the you know as we started, the the standard market, if you like, was solid engineered and laminate. In around two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, we we had the the bamboo invasion, and I know Michael was um, very familiar with, with that. Uh, it was it was almost a, a coming and going. Whilst there's still some level of bamboo market out there now. Um, it, it, it had a, a very big coming and um, quite a big departure, I suppose, to some degree. There's still 
some some element of market with bamboo um and still reasonably healthy but yeah it it sort of had a major coming and going we we saw the the pre-finished solid market um have a have a try coming into the marketplace that came with it with its issues again there's still a little bit of pre-finished solid available in the marketplace uh, we saw the uh, the oak the european oak um invasion if you like come in it's still very strong now uh, whether that be solid or, or engineered uh, oak it's it's retained its strength in the marketplace um, and in the later these later couple of years now uh, we've we've seen the hybrid products come into the marketplace and and take a lion's share all of those products are, seem to have their place in the market uh, there's always a little bit of toing and froing about our market share but uh, gladly, I think that most of those products are taking more lion's share away from carpet and uh, tiles more than anything. Yeah, and we're definitely seeing that um, at Clever. You know, the the whole timber, uh, bamboos. Um, Randy mentioned there that we were one of the, I guess, leaders in that bamboo um, movement when it came in. And one of the things that you know I find Adfa do really well is. You know, they really um, reached out to us, um, who were one of the leading manufacturers at that time, and spoke to us about guidelines and what what we found with the product. So I found when they put their um, guidelines all together, uh, that they also work with industry partners to discuss that to ensure that the right information is getting out to you know to the public and and to other members. So you know that's that's an experience that we a good experience we have with ADFAR is the sharing of information, the validation of information, um, and working tightly together with their you know, business partners. Bamboo was a really good example of, of ATFA's you know, power and strength to, to get things done because there, there was a immediate problem with bamboo. People were starting to direct stick it to concrete, and it was a little bit more volatile to, to moisture uptake than, than timber was. So immediately we put in place practices that weren't being picked up by the overseas manufacturers that bamboo either needed to be floated that there needed to be two applications of moisture barrier if they were to, to direct stick it though that was perhaps still ill-advised uh, or that they were to put it over a substrate like a ply or a particle substrate so you know we we quickly moved to develop a manual to address those issues and, and soon most manufacturers and, and said importers um, applied the, the approach in their guidelines of either advising people to, to float it or use a substrate. Uh, and that, that was a fairly quick uh, reaction and a good reaction. Yeah, and they're, they're manuals that um, I refer to on a daily basis, um, you know, Going through, looking at um, the way that we write our guidelines, uh, we've got a lot of new products coming in on the market all the time. You know, as Randy said, you have these evolutions and these drives of product groups um, that the industry goes through. Uh, so to have someone like Adva uh, quickly get in, see these trends, and then work out, you know, the benefits, the features, how they perform, where the limitations are, and then, you know, very quickly publish out guidelines uh, for us all to, you know, work within, you know, to me is, you know, beyond what anyone else in the industry is doing um, and gives us a reference point, you know, to sort of work from um, and then, you know, manage and monitor what we do. 
Yeah, we, we have an industry standard manual for, for every aspect of timber flooring now. There's solid, there's engineered, there's bamboo, there's laminate, uh, there's decking, and there's there's now a hybrid industry standard manual as well. So we, we cover all the bases as well as a problems, causes, and remedial measures manual, which addresses all of those aspects as well. The other thing that I enjoy is um, your webinars, um, getting on and you know listening to your industry experts. Um, I think it's every other week there's sort of a, a webinar out there that, um, you know, sometimes I'm still at the office, sometimes I'm at home, generally in the, the later evening or later afternoon. And actually having different people on there sort of going through different aspects of um, installation and problems and causes and things like that. So, you know, I've personally learned over the last 10 years a lot through, I guess, the Ad for Academy. Yeah, that's a good point, Michael. I suppose that the the webinars, which are free to members, are a a great way of of introducing people to to training when, when, you know, that their schooling years might have been a bit challenging for them and they, um, they, they weren't so, so keen on, um, on education. Uh, the webinars are low intimidation, I suppose. There, there's, um, you don't have to be seen, you don't have to be heard, you can watch and learn, you can participate if you choose to and ask a question, but um, the, the participants are, are not seen, so they only uh, watch the presenter and the PowerPoint presentations um, and that then you know, leads them to other avenues, uh, whether that be our online training or our face-to-face training. So it, it's a, a great little uh, insight into what they can be involved with. Yeah. And what I also like is the fact that it's not just about flooring. Um, like a lot of, um, you know, the ones that I've sort of joined into goes into, you know, how the grain structure in the timber is and the differences between your softwoods and hardwoods. And, you know, it really digs deep into how a piece of timber performs, um, you know, with introduction and reduction of moisture. And, you know, so it goes like we try to do here, you get, you know, under under the floor. It digs deep into why floors perform the way they do, which then gives a much better understanding for, I guess, the, uh, the installers, the homeowners and everyone that, you know, when there is issues or if there is issues, you know, why these things occur. And, um, you know, that that's sort of something that really uh, resonates with me is is the depth that um, ADVA goes to, you know, getting right back to the, the grassroots as such uh, from the tree up. Absolutely. Product knowledge is essential and members understanding their product and how it might perform in certain uh, environments is, is essential. I, I guess that's a good place to, I guess, tip into the inspection process. Uh, and which is obviously one of the things ATFA specialise in. Mate, can you just, Randy, take us through what the flooring inspection process looks like and, and when you would need it? Okay, so there are a number of instances. So, you know, we do in excess of 700 inspections across Australia and New Zealand these days in, in a year. If somebody has an issue with the floor and that, that you know, I think, 60, close to 60% of our inspections are for insurance companies now. So um, that's most of the time with insurance companies is not about a dispute. It's more to do with a, um, a water egress issue or a dishwasher flood, um, you know, a building leak, something like that, where the, the insurance company needs third-party uh, verification in terms of, of 
causation, what's caused the, the need for that inspection um, and, and how that can be resolved. So the, the inspector is going in, ascertaining what the cause of the, the problem is um, and making a, a, a finding and providing a, a professional written report accordingly. The other aspect, I suppose, is where consumers or builders or architects, members or non-members uh, seek to undertake a, an inspection uh, where it's consumers, it's usually more to do with um, a dispute. So um, often when it gets to an inspection status, um, relationships between the, the contractor and the consumer are probably um, gotten to a, a low point where they can't resolve it. So they need third party involvement. Um, sometimes that's at the direction of a tribunal from one of the various states. Um, so they, they're asked to go away and get uh, third party um, impartial um, assessment of the floor. So that may be, again, that often it's, it's a bit to do with movement uh, or it might be um, coating issues where there's some, something foreign in the coating or the, uh, the colour of the coating or, or something that, that's occurred that's um, not met with how the intended project was possibly in, intended. Um, sometimes there are issues with over, over expectations, some consumers, and particularly we see this in insurance inspections where um, you know, consumers had their timber floor, it, it looked a certain way, um, something's happened, whether it be a flood or something like that, dishwasher flood that's me meant the floors had to be um, re-sanded and refinished or reinstalled if the, the timber has been affected by moisture um, and suddenly the floor they have doesn't look like the floor they had before um, and there's a dispute and the insurance company is trying to deal with that and technically you can't um, reform the, the look of a floor that was 20 years old it's going to look like a new floor not like a 20 year old floor so, so expectations with consumers are sometimes difficult to manage for um, contractors uh, and for insurance companies that are trying to, to satisfy their needs. So those aspects are dealt, being dealt with. Um, sometimes you just get contractors or builders that just don't do the right thing by consumers and you're trying to deal with those issues as well. Um, they don't return to site. They don't address the, the issues that the consumer has. Um, so the inspection report is um, not about pointing the finger at somebody so much, but just pointing out what is wrong with the floor. Um, it's the role of a tribunal or a court um, to, to then point the finger, if you like, um, or hopefully the report provides both parties with a, a process for resolution. Okay, so I guess that, so part of your role, does it entail trying to police the manufacturers into what they can and can't say or do because I know that we say we talk you there about insurance purposes and we will use Lismore as an example with the floods and and people using water resistant waterproof using in wet areas and in certain areas where they shouldn't be used and some of that is not necessarily a manufacturer issue would say it's a I guess an installer issue but is part of your role that education and maybe giving people the right advice from a manufacturer perspective? Yeah, definitely not policing. Um, we're a, a, a guidance and inform and education type organisation. So we, um, you know, we're 
we're not a regulator, so we don't have the power to regulate or tell. Um, but we certainly provide a lot of advice and guidance, and we try to. Uh, an example of that is when the federal government, uh, it's probably 2018 now, thinking back in memory, but it's pre-COVID, uh, where they they introduced the non-conforming building products um, act, um, and that was in reaction to a, a few things. Um, the the um, cladding on on some of those buildings that caught fire, um, and you know, elect, cheap, cheap electrical cabling that was being bought in from from China that didn't comply. Um, so that brought about that process. And as an industry, we embraced that straight away. We turned it around the other way and sort of looked at how we could make it a make it a positive and and have manufacturers come on board and have their um, have product compliance rather than be assessed as being non-compliant. So we put in place processes where um, they could demonstrate that their products met, met a high standard. So we do that with manufacturers. We encourage them to do that. It tells the market and it tells consumers that their products are, are reliable and, and quality. Um, we obviously pr produce an enormous amount of information for contractors to apply in their everyday work so they too can demonstrate that they um, meet quality levels. You know, a lot of people will join ATFA just to say they're a member, but um, all of that information we hope helps them and they refer to it and it helps them um, meet their everyday needs. They can access it through their smartphone. They get access to all of our information sheets. So if they need something fast, they can get it simply from, from their smartphone. Yeah, and we, we find that a, such a useful tool, um, clever. Um, as Randy said, it's accessible easily on the website, on your phone. So, you know, us being a manufacturer, uh, having the products, you know, being installed, then put into different environments and being put into these um, areas where there's a lot of um, anomalies um, that we can't control. <clears throat> it's definitely great to be able to access all these um, reference points uh, to ensure that, you know, one, we try and, because again, I guess getting back to the inspection process, you know, a lot of, um, you know, there is the insurance side of it, which is pretty sort of I guess, straightforward because it's assessing um, a cause or a problem. Um, but when there's an inspection process and there's heated people involved, you know, that's a different story because then you've got to try and meet people's expectations and you've generally got multiple people involved. Um, so for us, we just try and really reference uh, in that process uh, as a manufacturer, you know, what our product does, how it performs the best and, you know, we, we try and then set a, a clear guidelines on our installation recommendations and then assess on that, you know, if, if it was installed outside of those guidelines or the environment hasn't been controlled, you know, as we expect or moisture's come in or things like that, uh, then I guess that's something that, you know, we work with, with the inspectors and people like ADFA to try and come up with a resolution because ultimately the end customer just wants their floor fixed. And generally you got people, you know, throwing blame at each other because they just don't want to incur the cost to do it. So yeah, I'd imagine that would be a tough um, situation for your inspectors to get in the middle of. Yeah, no, I guess, Matt, I didn't quite answer all of your question before about the process. So when somebody requests an inspection, that's, that's done so through a request for inspection process on our website. 
it's a it's a legal and binding contract between the inspector and what is now the commissioning party, the people that have sought the inspection. Uh, so the the relationship with the inspector starts at that point. The inspector goes to site, uh, undertakes the the inspection, makes all the assessments, takes photos, um, then goes away and writes a report. That report that report is submitted to a a, a seconder. So uh, somebody, one of our review group, reviews that report. The report then goes back to the inspector with any recommendations. Um, necessary changes are made based on those recommendations or discussed between the inspector and the reviewer, uh, and then the, the report is is issued to the the commissioning party. So the the we recommend to the commissioning party that they share the report with the other party, because obviously if it goes to a tribunal or a court, there's a you know, a disclosure requirement. So it's it's kind of pointless to withhold that report on the the basis that you might gazump somebody at a tribunal or court hearing it doesn't really work that way though some people still try to do that despite our our guidance on it so it's, so i guess essentially you're not a expert witness for the defense or for the or, or or whatever you just you just give the facts and then you pass it on to the next people to make that decision right yeah look the it, in the most cases, it's the the impartial report, so providing the facts as best as possible in terms of the outcome. We're assessing the floor. We're not assessing the case. We're going in and saying this is what's going on with the floor. We're not taking either party's side in this. So the commissioning party sometimes comes out the party that's in the wrong because you know they they thought otherwise. Um, so we don't take we don't take sides. However, if it does go to a tribunal or a court. Then the inspector can be obviously uh, brought in as an expert witness to provide further context to to their report. Okay, so you mentioned also you got twenty inspectors across Australia. Yeah. What sort of certifications have these guys got to be able to perform the task? Okay, so there's there's quite a, a developed process now in becoming an ATFA inspector. So um, lots of people think they can be an inspector. Um, we have a process now which um, quickly sorts out whether or not they they have the capability to to move on through that process. So we have a, a pretest, if you like. So uh, that pretest is sent to them, on, and if they can answer those twenty questions and do so effectively, then they should move. They they have the capability of moving on to the next step. The the key things are that they obviously have industry experience and knowledge about. All aspects of the timber flooring industry, or most, um, that they have computer skills, writing skills. Um, they're they're essential. It's just not just not knowing about the timber flooring industry. Must be able to write well. Must be able to have computer skills. Must have diagnostic skills. Being able to diagnose the problem and translate that into a written document with meaning is a, is essential. So there there are a lot out there that think oh, I've been doing this for thirty years. I know all about it. I can be an inspector. It's it's not that straightforward. So we have that process where um, we undertake the pretest with them. Then they need to undertake the assessing timber floors performance two-day workshop. Uh, if they uh, complete that successfully, then they do a correspondence program, which involves the other aspects of being an inspector. Um, so uh, that involves different assessments that they they must uh, achieve a. Uh, an 80% pass mark, mark on um, with those assessments. Then if they, they get through all of that, they have to have um, 
professional indemnity insurance in place, um, which we have a, a provision for with our, our partner insurer. Uh, they have to have all of the necessary inspection equipment, moisture meters, vernier calipers, um, cameras, all of those aspects, um, and then have to sign the inspector agreement and a, and a release to be published on our website. So quite an involved process to become an inspector. Um, they have to work in with our, our reviewers. They have to attend regular meetings of our inspectors where we deal with moderation issues. Um, we, we're continually trying to raise the professionalism uh, uh, of our uh, whole organisation, not just our inspectors. We, we are an ISO 9001 um, certified organisation, so that translates to our inspection system as well. So we're, we're constantly working on continuous improvement. Excellent. Okay, great, mate. I guess the next the next thing I really is obviously the product you're dealing with is could be constituted a DIY product, which is a bit scary for in some instances. I know that it's one of Michael's biggest fears is the old DIY, but we talk about having skilled, qualified installers. So, what things has that got in place to help with? I guess ensuring there's qualified installers around to 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 install the flooring? Yeah, look, it's a, a multifaceted question, I suppose, in a way. Um, you know, diverging a little bit, I saw an ad on TV um, just last night for some um, stick-on wall cladding that looks like timber flooring. I don't know if either of you have seen that ad, but I'm, I don't, wow. How long before people are starting to stick that on the floor and um, is that going to be a, a fun one for our inspectors? So, you know, Very scary. <laughs> So, yeah, the, the DIY market, yeah, look, I think that, I'm not saying we've scared enough people, but I think we project enough information out into the marketplace to suggest that you really should get somebody qualified to install your floor or, or a, a proper flooring contractor. So that that's the first part. You know, there, there are aspects of laminate and hybrid that, that certainly can be DIY, um, but still there's a, there's a level of skill required to do it properly. Uh, there are so many things that can go wrong. You, you kind of think hybrid, no-brainer, it's it's a DIY product, but, you know, understanding about the flatness of, the, of your concrete that it's going to go on and all those aspects are still essential and you can break that hybrid product so easily. So there are uh, important aspects there. What are all the, the options? So there is a, a trade qualification in the timber flooring industry, the Certificate 3 in, in uh, timber flooring technology. Oh, in flooring technology, sorry, there are multiple parts to it. There's the timber stream, carpet stream, vinyl stream, etc. Um, so there is trade qualification. Uh, in some states, uh, South Australia and Queensland, there are licensing requirements that, that tie to that as well. Um, we are still discussing licensing arrangements in other jurisdictions and, and we'll continue forever to try and achieve uh, licensing um, throughout Australia and New Zealand. Um, generally, the industry wants it. Um, so we will continue to, to fight that fight. Dealing with governments on that is, is not so easy when they're, they're not you know, predisposed to want to do it in a lot of instances. So uh, that's one aspect. So obviously, we run lots of training. We have our own accreditation program. We have our own industry diploma in timber flooring. It's a way for, for members to get a credential that demonstrates to the pub, the greater public that, that they are serious about their own education and learning. Um, so um, undertaking all of the training, they get 
they get attendance certificates for the various training they do with us. So getting those aspects and being able to demonstrate to customers that they're serious about their business, they're serious about undertaking training and getting better um, are all essential elements for, for our industry. Are you guys doing anything to try and attract more apprentices and people into that role? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we work um, across all aspects. So we have a representative on the industry reference committee that deals with the development of the qualification. Um, I've been in that role myself. Um, I'll be back in a sort of a role with the, uh, the new organisation that, that's federally funded to look after that process. We have our own um, uh, web pages, if you like, where people can lodge their expressions for interest to find apprentices and employees and likewise somebody looking to be an apprentice can lodge. Uh, we're working closely with the, the TAFE institutes around the country to to promote things. We get involved with different careers expos in different states where, where we have the capacity to do so. We're only a small organisation so you can get roped into hundreds of those so we're careful about which ones we focus on um, and we have lots of information that we've produced for both the employment side and the the potential apprentice side to join the industry. So we're trying to, to promote that. There's information sheets, there's, there's brochures, there's flyers. We have um, a promotional PowerPoint that our uh, various um, location committees can use if they're going into a school to talk to them about our industry that they can utilise. So we have promotion on, on quite a number of fronts. So on that, we're talking a lot about the installers, qualifications, um, obviously upskilling. How can the consumer, if they're looking for a qualified in, installer or someone with certification, how can they find such a person? Yes, uh, simply go to our, our website, Michael, so atfa.com.au or floorchoices.com.au, uh, which is more focused on consumers. So if they go to the find a member section of our website, they'll see all of our members listed. Uh, they can see who of those members have accreditations and what you know um, training they've done if they've got a qualification. We're in fact about to um, add further improvements to that find a member uh, system where, where members can uh, implement their own portfolio. So if they want to talk about uh, work they've done um, credentials they have, compliances they have in place, they can add all of that to their their profile. So we're about to start implementing that process. Um, so that will add further benefits for our members, but also further information for consumers to get a better understanding of, of who they're working with as well. So with that, what sort of percentage increase you're seeing each year of, um, you know, I guess, installers out there sort of upskilling and um, doing more courses and, and your membership growing in that particular sector? Because uh, as Matt said before, you know, our industry is does have a skill shortage. Uh, and I know there's a lot of um, the stores that I deal with that their biggest challenge is they can't find, you know, reputable installers or even just find installers. So it's a challenge to their business. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, very tough one right at the moment, Michael, with unemployment lower than 4% at the moment. Um, hanging on to, to staff is is the key here at the moment. So um, having benefits, and I'm not just talking about financial, but benefits that, that help keep, keep the staff you've got on board uh, is essential. 
um, trying to find somebody that's a skilled contractor or, or has some skills in the industry um, is almost a unicorn right at the moment. Uh, and I guess that we would encourage people to bring new people in and begin to train them. Um, the, the likelihood of, of getting somebody skilled is only on the basis that somebody might be a bit displeased with where they work now and they're looking to go elsewhere. So um, trying to, to find that person in that point in time is probably uh, difficult to achieve. With the way the economy uh, has got some indications at the moment, you know, I think that that is going to change again um, in time, but there's, there's still amount of time. The industry is still very busy. Um, hopefully, if we do have some um, downgrading in the economy, if that's a one way of putting it, then then it won't be for too too long. Um, we like to to think that the industry can stay buoyant. It is right now. Everybody is is pretty busy. We don't really hear too many people that are not busy. So finding people is is always going to be difficult in this current environment. So the message, I suppose, is to train more people. Try and encourage younger people into the industry because they are our future. If you can apprentice somebody, please do so because that's that's highly important. And for installers out there that, um, I guess, have been doing this for a while but don't have any official certification, what does that process look like? Because, you know, sometimes it's daunting for someone who's done something for a long time. Uh, they feel like they know everything. And then it's like, oh, now I've got to put up a heap of time or I've got to um, you know, go for all these costs. Or So how does that process look for those installers out there looking to, I guess, benefit their, their career? Yeah, look, that's a really good question, Michael. And I, and I think that a lot of guys, they get to the situation where they might have started as a labourer in our industry or started working for their father or, or mother or whatever, um, that, that they get to the situation where they've been working for 10 years and they don't have any kind of qualification and they think, oh, well, it's too late for me to do an apprenticeship now. Um, the, the answer is they can get the same outcome without doing, you know, having to be apprenticed to somebody. They can go through what's called recognition of prior learning. Recognition of prior learning is a process where you are assessed against the trade qualification. So there are 24 units of competency in the Certificate 3 in Flooring Technology. So that RPL process, they get in touch with their, their TAFE Institute. Um, they, they apply for recognition of prior learning. And if they get it, they have, will have to provide testimonials and photos of their work and demonstrate how they've met the requirements of each one of those units. It's a little bit of a process, but it's a um, damn sight easier than going on to an apprentice wage or, or going through a four-year apprenticeship. So uh, yeah, yeah. it might, might take some months to achieve, but that recognition of prior learning, if you successfully get through the end of it, gives you the trade qualification. And I don't think there's anything more important than somebody can have in our industry than being able to tell somebody that they're qualified. Yeah, absolutely. Mate, uh, I guess really you can't discount the power of an industry group. And I think a group of people working together with a common goal is essential. But what are the real benefits that members get from ATFA? Yeah, Matt, it's, it's a good question. We, we do a, a survey with our members every two years, um, you know, reassessing what's the most important things to them. The top one's always information, and that's where our, our highest focus always is, so the development of information. So those industry standard manuals, those information sheets, there are 
110 or 111 information sheets now and they're not they're somewhere between two and ten pages each so there's a mountain of information that's available to members now or potential members to to get hold of that's going to assist their everyday uh, needs so information is key providing that information whether it be through those um, information sheets or manuals or coming to one of our events or doing some of their training so coming to our events you know the last trade night we we had in Melbourne we had one of our lawyers speaking uh, and the people that were there were, were riveted to listening to her and understanding her background and, and what it meant and, and some of the the liabilities and concerns that that lawyers see and how that is attributed to to the everyday contractor so um, getting information is essential learning what goes on in our industry and knowing what to do if you you get in a bind uh, is is highly important so they are the benefits of, of membership of atfa one of the things i really enjoy about being a member of um adfa is that the way that um you know randy and his team make himself available um you know many times i have just some basic questions or i have some real complex questions and you know whether i send out an email or put a phone call in sometimes within you know minutes or sometimes you know within the day i've got responses and they really make themselves available to their members um you know and i, I personally thank you guys um because i know you, you must be busy but to be able to answer you know sometimes it's just a simple question or sometimes complex um you know it's, it really helps me in my day um get that quick and fast response so then i can get back to my clients so you know that's something that we really value um, as being a member of ADFA. Secondly, you know, all our staff, you know, we regularly have the weekly uh, memos you send out every Friday. Uh, so that's something that we pass around our staff um, right down to our warehouse to our girls and guys answering the phones uh, just so they can quickly read over those information sheets. So throughout the years, um, I guess a lot of my journey, you know, I've been associated with had for now nearly 10 years um a lot of the information um and technical advice and all that that you know i've got uh from adfa so you know i want to thank thank you randy and your team and i want you to keep going because um you know we really need uh, a body like yourselves driving us forward and you know creating these um help create these um, regulations and getting governed bodies on board so um yeah big thanks from from clever well i guess the more people that support atfa the more atfa can support the group so getting online your website at uh, atfa.com.au is the best place to to get on and and join the group and uh, and there's a wealth of information there that i've been able to go through and and uh, as a as a marketing partner of clever choice be able to really go through there and, and educate myself on on what goes on in the goings on every day of, of a flooring company. So, mate, uh, thank you very much for your time, Randy. We've really appreciated it. We won't take any more. You've probably got a thousand phone calls and a thousand emails to get back very quickly, apparently. As straight into another says. meeting, uh, straight into another meeting, unfortunately, Matt, but yeah, I yeah. no, appreciate it. And thank yeah, you very much for the opportunity. Okay, mate, we really appreciate it. And uh, we will see you next week, episode five of Clever Choice. Yep. Thank Looking you very much, Michael. Uh, you're welcome, Matt. Thanks for having a nice chat with uh, Randy. Thanks for your time today, Randy. Really appreciate it. Not a problem, Michael. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to The Underlay. If you want to hear more, follow us on all good podcast platforms.